where we can't buy gas today because our license plate ends in the number four. Good afternoon, folks, and thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, and general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 2 p.m. as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. Coming to you from the home of the Nachum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side, I am joined by my handy-dandy partner, Avrami, who has a new haircut. Avram. It's not really new. <laughs> well, it, You just haven't seen it lately. Okay. What do you mean I haven't seen it lately? How, this is the second, haircut I've second. been giving myself for the past couple of years now. Okay, but stop for a second. First of all, I want to make sure our listeners know that you said exactly what I wanted you to say. It's the haircut you've been giving yourself in the mirror. You're, yeah. You're able to give yourself a haircut in the mirror. Once you're... <laughs> once you're in yeshiva, you can... Once like, you get the machine on and you <laughs> are kind of leaving it on one number the whole way around... You're good. You just kind of go wherever you can go. When there's a little bit left, it's helpful to have a spouse that uh, has some <laughs> skill with scissors, and uh, that's it. The whole thing takes about, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes. Unbelievable. Well, it's a good haircut, but I have to ask you the following question. How old is that haircut? It's pretty short. How old... I mean, how long ago did you do it? Um, I did it uh, before my bus trip in. Oh, you mean like, you know, just today? Yeah, I just, uh, yeah. Oh. I was just like, you know what, it's time, I look a little bit disheveled. and You said uh, you haven't seen it lately. I'm like, dude, if this is two weeks old, I can only imagine what you look like two weeks ago. No, I just, I just, you know, it's very much a whim thing. I get up in the morning, okay, it looks good. I get up another morning, no, it's time to go, and that's pretty much it. You are a fickle, fickle man. Anyway, if you are a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. And if you are a returning listener, thanks as always. For making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do what Jamie Geller does. Visit me on my blog at DearThat'sLife.com. You can friend me on Facebook. You can send me an invite in LinkedIn. You can also email me at Miriam at NachumSiegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show, as you know, but I will please God look forward to returning your email later. It was great to see Jamie, by the way, at Kosher Fest. Our first guest is going to talk about Kosher Fest. Elon Kornblum will be on with us in a little bit. Actually, Jamie flew in from Israel. For those of you who are fans of Joy of Kosher, she made Aliyah with her family. It was great to hear that they are doing very well. I was actually able to see um, also Shifra Klein from Batea Avon Magazine, which is now Joy of Kosher Batea Avon, and soon enough will just be Joy of Kosher. She uh, and her husband were also at Kosher Fest, so we have a lot of Kosher Fest talk to do a little bit later. But... Let's go to our first, our favorite segment. There's something wrong with my teeth today. Favorite segment. What does the fortune cookie say? I know you like that sound, don't you? People like this segment, Avram. I just want you to know. People think this is fun. I think they'd like it better if it came with some lo mein for the engineer. <laughs> you know what, by the way? I was. Uh, we're going to do a late lunch today, you and I. We're going to do a late lunch. All right, here we go. Um, oh, my. What is this? If your cookie is in three pieces, the answer is no. I don't even know what that means. How many pieces is it in? Okay, first of all, it's only in two, so the answer is yes. But the answer to what? Lunch? Lomain? I don't know. I don't know. This is I'm so I'm so confused. I don't like when the fortune cookies confuse me. It sets a bit karma to the show. I may have to choose another one. I'm just saying. Anyway, let's get to some uh let's get take care of some business. Today's national holidays include um I love Bunt Pan Day. Yes, for those of you who are bakers, it is national I love Bunt Pan Day. Day. That is, of course, spelled B-U-N-D-T. Make sure to spray that pan well, because otherwise only half of your cake is coming out when you turn it over. It is also National Philanthropy Day, which um, I'm a big advocate of. It is I Love to Write Day, which is a wonderful thing for journalism majors, including 
the fearless Yael Lassen. She is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful intern. She saves me all the time. It is Guinness World Record Day. What should we do? Avram, what should we do? We should have planned this beforehand, I'm thinking. This is a little late in the game. Can you imagine how many other records were already beat today? And it's the afternoon, so we don't even have the full day left. That's what I'm saying. People already took advantage of everything all morning. Shoot, we should have thought about this in advance. Um, it is also the Great American Smokeout and America, an American Recycles Day. I just want everybody to know that in the five towns, there is no recycling. Not because we're above it, but because, frankly, the uh, sanitation workers just throw everything into one truck, both the stuff that has been separated for recycling and the stuff that hasn't been. And the, the gentlemen have asked me, actually, not to bother separating things anymore. So I stopped. It's terrible chinuch for my kids. I have to be honest with you, and it offends my uh, moral sensibilities. But, frankly, it's making their life to be a pain in the neck, and I'm not here to do that. It is also World Kindness Week, which is a wonderful thing in the, th- in the third week post-Sandy. Everyone should continue to share a little bit of kindness. You know what I saw in the news yesterday, Avram? That the Occupy Wall Street people have actually mobilized um, and become a force that is helping people who have been displaced by Sandy. They have raised $400,000 and, and, and because they have no overhead and have accumulated all of these different goods that, that people need, they have become a major positive force. So I'm happy to see that they're actually um, productive and doing something great. It is also National Hunger and Homeless Awareness Week, which is very, very difficult to see and um, makes, uh, obviously, the last couple of weeks that much more, um, I don't know if the word is poignant. I'm not exactly sure what it is. But it is also Use Less Stuff Day. So I'm, I'm all for that. I'm all for downsizing. So we got a lot to celebrate today. Anyway, um, I usually find it very difficult. i sorry. I usually don't find it very difficult to share any funny stories. There are plenty of crazy, funny things that happen all the time. And last week I made a point of not sharing anything because, frankly, nothing had been funny. And the truth of the matter is, is that, as I said to somebody, as I said to a couple of somebodies, that just like power has slowly been restored to the five towns in most areas, so too my sense of humor has slowly come back. And I really appreciate that because for a while there was nothing funny and there was nothing to joke about. But, like all New Yorkers, we rebound. We are resilient. So while things were slowly warming up in my sense of humor department, there was a total stranger at Starbucks who made me laugh so hard I almost cried. Why? Because I was at the one of the Starbucks. There are two if you are a uh, Penn Station aficionado or you're a New York, State, New York City commuter. You take the Long Island Railroad. There are two Starbucks in Penn Station one of which is the one I, I frequent. It is closest to the AC and E lines and is, frankly, much more convenient. I could not find an empty seat, and I had a couple of hours that I just needed to do work and needed Internet access. I still do not have Internet access on my house, so doing work becomes a little bit stilted. But I had gotten in early, and I just wanted a spot. Well, there are plenty of New Yorkers who still do not have Internet access, to say the least of what, what New Yorkers are still missing, but anyway, I could not find a spot. So basically, I became that person who looks for a parking space and starts to hover and waits for someone else to move their car and then you swoop in. That's what I became. I became the hoverer in Starbucks standing there with my laptop. And finally, one gentleman, I, I noticed that one gentleman who was taking up, sorry, taking up two spaces, the equivalent of t- somebody taking up two parking spaces, which really annoys me. Anyway, he had moved over a little bit. So I started to swoop in. And the gentleman and one of the other gentlemen sitting on the other side of this table had also, like, extended himself a little bit. And I said, excuse me, is this table taken? And he said, no, I've been holding it for you all morning. You're late. And I 
cracked up. I have never seen this guy before in my life, nor do I make a regular habit out of plopping myself down in Starbucks to do all this work. But I looked at him and I started laughing and I said, well, I'm sorry I didn't call. And he said, seriously, a call, an email. I haven't even heard from your mother. And I just could not stop laughing. And I sit myself down and I said, your clairvoyance is appreciated. He said, I knew you were coming. Anyway, so he and I sat there for a couple of minutes and we uh, we schmoozed. He did his work and he and I did mine. And then we, you know, basically got into a groove and he picked himself up, gathered his stuff to go. And um, he looked at me and he winked and he said, have a great day. I hope someone else saves the space for you next time also. And he just swooped out of there. It was just it was a classic New York moment that really made me smile. And then, of course, the guy, one of the uh, musicians in the terminal was then playing uh, the Beatles. Here comes the sun. So it was all just it was all just a great moment. You're listening to That's Life on the Nahum Siegel Network. I am Miriam L. Wallach. Thanks for joining me. And I'd like to introduce my first guest, who is still stuffed to the gills from Kosherfest, I have to imagine, after two days of eating, though the truth of the matter is, is he was working hard. Elon Kornblum from Great Kosher Restaurants. My mouth is still not working yet this uh, this afternoon. Great Kosher Restaurants and GreatKosherRestaurants.com and the famed magazine joins us on the heels of Kosherfest. Hello, Elon. Hello, Miriam. Hello to everybody out there. <laughs> so what'd you think, two days? What, I was only there the first day. I saw you the first day. But tell me, after two days, what'd you think? Well, first of all, I excuse myself for my hoarse voice. Uh, after talking for two days nonstop, <laughs> um, marathon, it's, my voice is a little, um, you know, a little, got a little hurt there, but, um, no, I'm don't a worry, trooper. it's good, for, it's good for radio. It's good for I'm radio. Tro- yes, I'm a trooper. But yeah, <laughs> and in fact, it's funny. Um, we were, we've been eating, you know, I've been in my booth the whole time, talking to everybody coming over. It's very nice. They all love the magazine. I'm very proud of it. Um, I have some scouts out there scouting out some of the uh, products. They're bringing back food to my booth, you know, for, for me to try. So, right. and I even went out to eat, you know, Tuesday night to a restaurant nearby because I didn't get enough food that day. I saw so that my, you, I saw you had posted that. That made yeah, me laugh. I'm, I'm crazy. I'm <laughs> crazy. I don't know. But, uh, no, that's, listen, it's an occupational hazard. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's so a, it was at Fumio, so let me give a shameless plug to them. It's funny, but, because I was going to do my own shameless plug to Ladino um, near Columbus Circle, which I have to tell you, I mean, I assume you've been there, correct? Yes, yes. I am an enormous fan. Yeah, it's got some really good feedback from it. I'm very proud of it. What, really cool, I don't know if you know, is that restaurant has, like, um, I wouldn't call it a fish tank, uh, because it's almost more like a tub, where it's downstairs, and they have live fish. In the tub, like trout and other you know types of fish, where you can order and they'll get it from the tub live and they'll cook it for you right after you know okay. right out of the tub. Okay, so, I have to tell you why that's so crazy. I'll tell you okay. why. That, because last Matze Chavez, we went to Ladino with friends, and the maitre d Pablo, who was a doll, an absolute doll, and really was incredibly accommodating. We had. A whole bunch of things we needed to uh, be accommodated with. But anyway, he um, he said to me, I was looking at the fish menu, and he said, listen, if you're interested, we have an amazing, oh. really fresh trout. <laughs> and I Look said, I know, and I said, okay. He goes, no, I mean really, really fresh. Right, He's like, right, right. And I said, okay. And meanwhile, you know, he br- they bring it to the table, and it's it's perfect. 
It's absolutely well, perfect, and now I understand why, because they killed it 15 minutes beforehand. Did it taste different? I always wondered, because yeah. from the time that normally when you eat a you know, fish, it takes a, you know, weeks or right. days until it's, you know gets to your, your plate. Right. So the, 15 minutes, uh, it was a little different? Oh, it was, it was definitely different. And the only other time I've had this kind of experience is my husband and I, on our honeymoon, went to Alaska. And we went salmon fishing for the day. Right. And we caught 40 pounds of salmon, oh. and, we caught, and we caught sea bass. I mean, it was one, yeah. it was one amazing haul. And, they, and we, we had a, most of the fish, we had filleted and deep and uh, double wrapped and whatever, and sent back to New York because you can do that. They they you know right. seal everything and send it back. But we took a couple of pieces that they filleted for us, and I had brought with me disposable barbecues. So I barbecued this day fresh. I mean, a couple hours fresh salmon that we had caught ourselves that day, and it was it was like butter. So it was it brought me back Saturday night. It brought me back to that same right. kind of unbelievably fresh tasting. You know, wow. fish that I had had that Very day. Very cool. Yeah. So, Very cool. So Ladino, I didn't realize that, but now what you're telling me about Ladino, <laughs> now really, it. it really yeah. is that fresh. So I was going through when I was uh, spending time at Kosher Fest. There were a bunch of different things that I thought were very cool. There were these protein chips, these called like Simply Protein Chips, that have 15 grams of protein in them. This, there were two flavors. There was chili, and there was like a garlic herb. So I, right. I tasted a couple of things there. The Simply, uh, I actually, they gave me a bag of the chili. It was. It was great, and I was shocked that there is – forget that there's only 140 calories in the entire bag, but there's 15 grams of protein. I eat right. meals that don't have that kind of protein. Right, right, right. Now, listen, that's what's really been the last couple of years. It's transformed the whole kosher industry where people are demanding more of a – you know, whether it's gluten-free, whether it's protein, right. whether it's, you know, different kinds of – of food that you can get that would appeal to other people. Um, and, yeah, that's what the people are doing. That's what the, the companies are producing. Uh, the demand is there. So it really is something where Kosher Fest is a great way where people can introduce their products to, you know, show to the industry. Yeah, that's really what it's become. It's, you know, you can have it runs the gamut. Um, you have the protein health-oriented um Products and then not to say that it's not health oriented. We have Jack's sausages, right? I which, didn't, I, which did were you, t- terrific um, right. for the you know people who want a little uh, spice in their life. Did you taste the uh, what were they calling it? The fakin? Flankin? Fl- well, no, no, fakin. Uh, right, the fakin. Did you taste it? Right. I you know someone mentioned to me. I again basically whatever I was able to eat was what people brought back to my booth for right. me to try. Um, I had what did I have? I had some spicy stuff, some sweet. I'll have to try that another time. But, you know, he's available all over. But, yeah, I, I, we'll see. We'll see. It's very interesting. Uh, something out of the box. Right. And the other, one of the other products that I thought was um, was crazy and crazy good uh, actually won one of the uh, new product competition, which was for a new best kosher for Passover product, was Matsola. They call themselves the trail mix of the Exodus. It's kosher for Pesach. Wow. And it is this matzah granola. And the truth of the matter is, is, you know, people have been making homemade matzah granola for years. Right, so right. I was really, really hesitant to try this. And I tasted it, and it was, I don't want to say it didn't taste paste a dick, because then I'd be lying. But, right. it, but it was good. That's, listen, that's what you want. You want something that's good and, you know, for Pesach, it shouldn't be an oxymoron. Right, that's you know, true. It's, it's, that's so I'm glad to see. I'm 
you know, that's we're going in the right direction. Yeah, there was and a lot. There was a lot of innovation. I thought that there was, you know, there was a lot of innovation. Things that were being displayed. I know that A and B filter fish actually. We're, you know, we're teaching people and we're showing people the step-by-step of how to make sushi gefilte, which is this new trend where people take the gefilte fish and they bake it in a single layer. So that becomes the fish filling. And now it's like a nouveau kind of way to serve your gefilte fish on Shabbos because you're making sushi rolls. Right, right. They also had one product uh, company had almost like hot dogs, but with fish. It looked like right. hot, mini hot dogs, little franks, and they were fish. It was, it was amazing. It tasted almost like a hot dog. Yeah, there was, um, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of very interesting stuff. Also, Moses Vodka had that date vodka. Right. Did you get to taste the date vodka? No, no. I uh, saw a lot of people leaning to the left a little bit, so <laughs> they probably had uh, themselves. Yeah, well, I, I, will, I will admit, I mean, not that I'm embarrassed, but I had a shot, and it was, okay. it was delicious. And, yes, I waited a good couple hours before I got into the car. I felt totally right, right. fine. There was, um, there was also, but, you know, there were also the fan favorites, as I, as I sometimes like to call them. There were, you know, the falafel balls, and there were the this, and there were the that, and somebody was rolling sushi to go with their different sauces, you know, not gefilte sushi, right. but regular sushi. So there are certain, even though Kosher Fest reflects a number of the different trends that are going on, let's say, in the national market and in the kosher market, there are still those tried and true. Right. And, and if, by the way, if anybody who's listening who wants to come to Kosher Fest, it is a trade show. So I would suggest you have a year, try to get into the trade, get into the kosher food business, whether you're a blogger, whether, you know, you want to go into the restaurant business um, or manufacturing, you know, it's a really fun industry. Um, I'm an, obviously an advocate for the industry. So if someone wants to come to Kosher Fest, now, you know, start um, planning for it. It's a great experience, two days, um, really try some different ideas. Um, I'm proud to be an exhibitor for the last six years. Wow. Um, wouldn't have it any other way. Great mm-hmm. opportunity to pr- promote the magazine, the website, and everything that we're doing. So, we're, we're happy with it. Yeah. Elon, was it, was it pa- more packed than you thought it would be? A number of people had asked me, was it full? And I said, well, on Tuesday when I was there, it was full. And people were like, really? It was full? And I said, yeah. And actually, a number of places, it was shoulder to shoulder. And and people were surprised. Were you surprised? Well, again, it's usually just people at lunchtime. It, there's, you know, the beginning when people start coming in, 11 o'clock, you have that big rush then from... 11 to 1 to 2 to 30. You know, it thins out a little bit as people are trying to beat the, the rush hour traffic. But yeah, it's pretty much the same. You know, we can kind of base the, the amount of people based on how many magazines uh, we give out. And it, it's pretty much the same. Um, so a lot of people who we, we see every year, some new people who are happy to see. So it's, you know, again, it's, it's a great, um, great way to see people. I would say probably the, the same amount, uh, give or take. We'll, you know, we'll have to see the numbers when they come in. I'll speak to Menachem and Lubinsky and see uh, what he thought. So curious to see what um, what the amount was. Was there a lot of talk about you know post Sandy recovery while well, you were there? Of you know from different people in the food industry how they were hit, etc. Yeah, again, in fact, I got displaced uh, a little bit from my hotel that was nearby, and we had to go to a, mo- a mile away, which I'm not complaining. I didn't have to drive back and forth to, to Brooklyn. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of people, especially the restaurants that I deal with, they were hit hard. Um, basically, for a couple of days, they were out of power. I know Long Island, where you're at, you know, was uh, right. for almost a week sometimes, but some of the restaurants didn't get back uh, some power. 
But uh, they're they're tr- you know they're troopers themselves. They fought through it. They have to. There's nothing really else to do. Um, some people even give away some of their food from their freezer. But um, you know, it's just another thing that they have to overcome uh, between holidays and listings. And um, you know, so they're they're going through it. Right. There was. Um, I was actually talking to uh, to Moshe Hirsch, Moshe Hirsch from Central Perk in Cedarhurst, who's a friend of ours here at the Nachum Siegel Network. I was talking to him at Kosher Fest. And, uh, yeah, he, he suffered a tremendous loss. He really suffered a tremendous loss. And uh, at being one of the restaurants and small businesses that was out of power for almost about 10 days in Cedarhurst. Wow. Yeah, and um, I asked him how he was doing, and he said, listen, you got to rebuild. you got to pick yourself right. up. you got to rebuild. And he said that he already has seen, obviously, a significant difference in the traffic that comes into his store because people are not eating out. It's not a luxury. They're rebuilding their homes. They have to rebuild their lives. Right. And, they're, they're, and frankly, for days they were sitting online getting gas. So yeah. everything, everything, be, you know, life was such a whirlwind. And I'm not saying that that whirlwind is over. If you live in the five towns, Far Rockaway, you know, Seagate, et cetera, that, that whirlwind is far from over. But if you were part of that whirlwind, you know, at the, at, at the height, right after Sandy had hit, the last thing you were thinking about is eating out. Yeah, you know, again, I, and we were, as a community of restaurants, we're going to try to see what we can do about donating, doing maybe a fundraiser event, um, you know, somehow donate food from the restaurant. So we're trying to do our part um, and provide some relief to some of the you know, people who are displaced and are, um, are, need, are in need of uh, help. So, um, yeah, I, you know, again, I think uh, we'll, we'll recover and uh, we'll be better than ever. I am on the phone right now with Elon Kornblum. He is post-Kosher Fest, a little bit hoarse. If you haven't checked out greatkosherrestaurants.com lately or gotten the new magazine, you really should. Elon, let me ask you a couple more questions. I know that sure. you are exhausted, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to exhaust you anymore. No, please, were, there a lot of, were there a lot of international dis- um, exhibitors at Kosher Fest, more than usual? Yeah, that was interesting. When I was, finally, when I got a chance at 5 o'clock when everyone was leaving, I just kind of walked the floor. Um, yeah, it was, the Philippines had a, a huge um, space along the wall of one of the, the show. Um, they were trying to get some uh, exposure for themselves and their products. Israel had a lot of right. uh, products from, from them. Uh, Argentina and um, you know, a lot of the Brazilian countries were there. Um, so, yeah, that's what really, you know, Coach Fest is about, is bringing an international world um, to the products and to people here. So that's, I know, again, Lenachem has been working hard trying to get people from all over to come because it's, you know, especially now with the technology and the Internet and where you can speak to everybody and, you know, ship. And it's, so that's why it's a community that, well, it's a small community for kosher. It's a large community in terms of, you know, international. So um, a lot of the products that you can't find here, you can find somewhere else, and it's something interesting. So that's really also something that uh, they've been working on and getting more of an international presence um, at the show. So I was happy to see that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I was actually very impressed to see all the different exhibitors who were not, and I should say also the the, the, the buyers, the, the people who came to right. peruse, etc. You know, spending a little bit of time 
looking at people's badges, everyone who walks through wears a badge that has your name, you know, right. tells you where your uh, company you identify, where, you know, you're representing, et cetera, and where it is located. And it really ran the gamut. I was, right. I, I'm always impressed. Mexico, exactly. Australia, right. South Africa, e- everywhere. I'm, Every single country you can think of was there. And there was actually also a South African meat company, the name escapes me, that had a huge, very active booth. That had, was constantly, you know, producing more food, etc., and people were just like chowing it down. I am always impressed when, when events, I, I would say also specifically Jewish events that lo- that take place in the New York metro area, are making such an effort to not be a New York metro area event. Right. I can imagine what the shipping was to oh. bring all that food from South Africa. Right. Yeah. The um, I, I'm sure that it was, I'm sure that it was not pashut as the case may be. I also noticed, by the way. Some um, very interesting, like exquisite, exquisite kind of chocolates, like um, very fancy, more than just your natural baking chocolate or your fun different kind of products. But there seems to have also been an elevated, um, elevated level. It's going to sound ridiculous a little bit. An elevated level of candy. Am I imagining it? No, not at all. Everything is elevated. You know, you can make. Yeah, I, I think candy. A lot of the chocolate, chocolate pretzels I saw right. there. Um, you know, different. Uh, what was it? Um, so again, I, I think I'm trying to think back of the chocolates. Yeah, listen, you know, you, and that's why you have to kind of be careful whether it's meat and power and all that. It's right. another issue with kosher fest. You got to find out <laughs> once you have meat, you can't have back. This, you can't have the chocolates anymore. You got to have it, save it for later. But yeah, I think um, everything has been elevated. Everything that, that you know, palate of the consumer is more educated. Um, sophisticated, they, they demand more, right. so even chocolate. Uh, any little thing that you can think of, it, it's, they're trying to push push the envelope just in terms of uh, taste and flavor, um, and that's what they're, they're producing. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. And Norman's Dairy had their new, they also won for their new Greek yogurt. They had a huge cow, right. not a real cow. They had a right, huge right. cow displayed there. And there was another um, business called Ramon Simply Natural. I don't know if you got to taste these, but these were yogurt drops. They came in a, just in a package. You could send them with your kids to school. They don't have to be refrigerated. They are like freeze-dried yogurt drops. And I have to say, I looked at them pretty skeptically, but they were they were displayed. And I'm like, you know what? You only live once. And I tried them. They yeah. were great. And of course, the Maybe. package, the package said serving for four. I decided it was like when Hagen says, it's a package of four. So I said, I'm like, you know, what's the, what's the fat content on this? And, and everything was so reasonable that between that and a number of different products, you could really also see this creative this creative level that existed. This gelato Petrini. I just have their business card right. in front of me. This gelato out of they um, won, yeah, they won the best product overall. Yeah, it was fantastic. This Parif yeah. gelato that they um they're out of Delray Beach, Florida. It's fantastic. You would never no, it's not milchik. But somebody said to me, actually, somebody who was standing next to me didn't say it to me. Somebody standing next to me said, was like deciding which flavor to try and said, oh, I'm already flacious. I'll go for the power of. So it's yeah. funny that you made that comment. But they have an, a wonderful, wonderful product. Yeah, no, for sure. They've been for a couple of years now. Um, yeah, I've been, I think, in fact, they have in Boca. Um, they have a little store there. So if anyone's around there, I think on Glaze, in fact. Um, they should check it out, but uh, that's, that's we're happy to see that uh, going in the right direction. Yeah, well, Elon, I'm gonna let you get some sleep, even though it's the middle of the day, because frankly, I'm sure you're <laughs> exhausted. You can reach Elon at Elon at GreatKosherRestaurants.com. You should make sure to check out the website. Elon, thanks for joining us. 
My pleasure. By the way, just if you can make sure people check out the Facebook on Great Coast Restaurants International, we have the results of the culinary competition that happened yesterday oh. uh, with pictures and a lot of things that people can check out. So go make sure to go on Facebook, go onto the website, go onto our wedding site. A lot of exciting things that we're planning on, so make sure you're a part of it. Great. I, I appreciate you giving um, our listeners that update. I hope you'll come back on and you'll tell me about all those things going on. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Bye-bye. You're listening to That's Life on the Nachum Siegel Stream. I am Miriam L. Wallach, and I'm here to sample some of the protein chips that Elon and I were just talking about because I said that I got a sample. I promised them I would talk about it on the air, and I don't want to lie. Um, and also, well, they were good. Avram, I want you to taste them also. Okay, shall I crunch on the air so people get <laughs> well, I wanna... a feeling for just how crunchy this is? <laughs> well, I don't think you're going to have to fake it because he... – oh, you have one already? Yes, I prepared. Oh, and it was funny because I was going to say to you, don't eat what's in front of you until I realized it was a protein chip. All right, so everyone should know, by the way, that we already made brachas on our chips, so people shouldn't think whatever. But anyway, all right, go. Should we have music over this? <laughs> I really like them. I mean, I've tasted them, and obviously you and I sampled them when we made our bracha. But I really like it. And can I say I, I we're talking we with use, food in our mouth? I think they could use a little bit of salt. No, I mean it's healthier without the salt. But to me, my palate says it could use a little more salt. Because you think it's like a corn chip, and it looks like—I mean, may it rest in peace—it looks like Fritos. Right. <laughs> it looks like Fritos. And Fritos. And plenty of salt. Right. Uh, I mean, and Dipsy Doodles, by the way. Dipsy Doodles are genius. They are the best chip out there. But these are, and those are not good for you. No, those are not good for you. These are good for you. They have, they have 140 calories. I said this before. They have 140 calories, 4 grams of fat for the entire bag. And um, they're 15 grams of, uh, there's only 1 gram of fiber, but there's 15 grams of protein. And actually, also, by the way, there's only really 4 ingredients in the entire thing. So there's, these are good. You're not into it? No, no, I like it. I like it. I was actually, it was making me think about the other day. I don't remember what company it is, but there's a company that makes now, uh, potato chips that it says on the bag has the flavor of baby back ribs. Are you serious? <laughs> and I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking, that could be excellent. Is it going to taste like meat or whatever? So, but I didn't get it because I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stick with, you know, stuff that I know. And then we had a barbecue the other night and, uh, my friend had bought a bag of it. Yeah. So we tried I didn't it. Crunch that much clo- and, that close to the. Uh, and we really, it really just tasted like barbecue potato chips. Oh, well, that's a bit yeah, of a letdown. So it totally was. I was like, this has no meat flavor whatsoever. Oh, all right. Let me put these away because I want to sample some other things that we got. Are you a jelly bean man? Very much so. All right. So these are, of course, I got a package of jelly bellies that we're gonna have to split, but um, because I only took one, but I got a whole bunch of these jelly bean planet. Jelly beans, and they say there's never been a better bean. They're all natural flavors. They come from natural sources, and every package was different. So, any meaning, take one. I'm going to open this What one. does that mean, I don't whatever know. you just said about these? <laughs> I just read the, I, I just, all I did was read the front. I, I mean, know what I'm saying. Oh, all right. What? No, I thought they were going to be like weird flavors, like tree bark or rock oh. or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Pencil shards, <laughs> concrete. All right, I'm tasting this one. All right. I do have a thing Ooh. about eating uh, eating sour food after a big meal. Yeah, so. well, I have to. Oh, really? Yeah, after a, I like to have a big meal on Shabbos or something. Yeah. I like to have like a piece of sour candy or something afterwards to kind of, you Ooh. know, cleanse the palate. I like it. Okay. Well, I hear that because I'm a person who likes lemon and lime. I like sorbet and ices. 
But as a person who, in general, doesn't like jelly beans, I mean, these are good, but then that brings me back to the whole, I don't like things getting stuck in my teeth, jelly bean issue. But what do you think? Very fruity. <laughs> I like them, now. Yeah. Okay, one second. And then you get to pick which one. We have these uh, chocolate-covered pretzels from Mani. I think that's the way you pronounce it. M-A-O-E-Mani? Wait, how many of those did you bring? Just two, me and you. Okay, so, wait. This is something I feel like my wife would appreciate much more uh, than me. All right, so take one so, for Toby, and then well, you and I will split one. Okay, okay, I don't want her to think that I'm having all the fun here. No. And she's yeah, And this actually looks, oh. I think she will enjoy it. Okay, so, fine. So you. that one's for Toby. We're going to split this. And actually, ooh, chocolate-covered pretzels are a big thing for me. This is a this is a very pretty. I'm going to take the smaller piece because. Uh, That's very kind of you. Also, I want the rest of the protein chips. <laughs> i got to be honest. Okay, here, take that. These are really good. Oh, these are really, really good. Where, where's that package? Let me just see that again. These chocolate-covered pretzels are delicious. Yes, the chocolate is very nice. Oh, and it's parv. Um, I'm not a big fan of milkic, uh, of dairy chocolate in general. I'm not. Um, I don't like milk chocolate. And these are these are totally parv, and they're delicious. This was a good move. Yes, yeah, quite good. I'm upset I only took two. What's that card inside of it? That's just I don't the ingredients know. and stuff, or is that a gift or something? No, it's their business card. Oh. Ingredients. Who writes ingredients? <laughs> Come on. Or um, fat content or something? No, don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> this is don't ask, don't tell. Anyway, we don't usually really have a food segment where we actually eat on the air. With the exception. This of- is something that we should incorporate. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a good time here at That's Life on the Nakam Seagull Stream. I am Miriam L. Wallach, and we are actually going to take a break from the food, and we'll be joined by our next guest. Dr. Scott Goldberg, director of, of Yeshiva University's University School Partnership. One day, at some point today, at one point, my teeth are going to work, but they're not working yet. Anyway, he's a contributor here at That's Life with our Teachable Moments segment, which is soon to be picked up again in a few weeks. But he's joining us today because there was a fascinating article in the New York Times last weekend that I really wanted to discuss. Dr. Goldberg, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me again, Miriam. No, I... <laughs> I don't know if you can hear, but Avrami is clapping for you. And actually, Dr. Goldberg is on uh, live remote from Florida, so we really appreciate him taking the time out of his busy schedule. To it's a real t- pleasure. It's tough to be down in the warm weather here. <laughs> I am crying for you somewhere on the inside. Anyway, this piece in the style section was entitled, Hurricane Sandy Reveals a Life Unplugged. And it basically discussed what families were doing to cope with the power outages and all the spare time that they were now having because they could no longer because we were out of power. And actually, let's keep in mind plenty of people are still out of power. I think there's something like at at one point this week there were still 60,000 plus LIPA customers who have not yet received power. But anyway, so they were talking this article discussed the various things that people were doing to pass the time and how they were playing board games, etc. And it brought up this idea this concept to me of two things. And that's what I wanted to discuss with you. Number 1, there is yes, there is there is life unplugged, and is this going to necessarily change how families and kids function in their downtime? And then number two is, was this any different from Yuntif? Because as my kids kept on saying, mommy can cook, but we can't watch TV. Well, I, I mean, I have to say first of all, as you noted, there are still people without power. There are right. still people uh, displaced, and certainly our thoughts go out to them, and and that's the the most important piece. Uh, but as we pick up the pieces uh, and as those families transition back into their uh, regular life, uh, certainly uh, there's, there's, there's guidance that is needed 
in terms of how to transition back and whether or not to swing the pendulum back to uh, the lifestyle of connectedness that we had before. I must say, when I read this article, Miriam, um, I, I had a profound sadness. I did because I have to say that I don't think um, I think they're missing the point. I don't think it's about unplugging. Um, I personally, every year, uh, take a, a no laptop, no BlackBerry, no cell phone, no email vacation. My, my staff knows it. For how Someone long? Certainly knows it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's, it's exciting uh, for me and my family. But it's not about um, disconnecting or unplugging. Um, it what was said to me about the article was how much it was about the connecting between the families and how much that was difficult for the families, it, connecting to each other. So while it is that the tone of the article was about how difficult it was to unplug, what was said for me was really how difficult it was for these families to connect. And I think that's the key to understanding how to transition back. So in terms of... Okay. All right. I, I hear your point. It's funny. It didn't even, um, it didn't strike me. The article didn't strike me that way. And I wonder if it's because, I, I mean, I did note that there was no, um, you know, not that necessarily that they needed to go in this direction, but there was no, you know, Shabbos observing family that was mentioned in this article, nor was it mentioned that there are plenty of people who live very healthy lives completely without, you know, what we, we can refer to the Amish, et cetera. We can refer to the fact that Jews shut off every week on purpose and we unplug and we learn to we we understand about connecting with each other and with our maker but is there do we, do we Miriam that's the question I think and I'm sorry to interrupt but I have to say that article the examples that were given that the kid playing saxophone and how the disconnected kid found art you know saxophone can be a very solitary experience also so can reading a book so can you know listening to uh, you know somebody sing a song or you know Someone, you know, someone can be alone, even doing any of these unplugged experiences. And to me, there are families that celebrate Yontif, families that celebrate Shabbos, and they're alone. They're solitary. The kid goes off and reads. One child plays a game. Another child does a puzzle. There's not the sense in many families that Shabbos and Yontif is about connecting, not just disconnecting. And to me, I, I think, you know, reading can be a solitary act unless we make it something different, unless we talk about what we're reading, unless we talk about what our children are reading. If we have, you know, a family poetry slam, it's different than just reading poetry alone. So I, I think it's a misconception that disconnecting necessarily is something that's a good thing. I think what we have to focus on is how we use the connectedness of electronics and technology and how we use the connectedness of the disconnected from technology it's about the family. It's about how we use the experiences, whether they're, 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 they're digital or whether they're not, um, and, and how we make sure that we stay connected to our kids. Did you think that um, any of the efforts taken by these families were positive in terms of the time that they were spending together and they were using this as a positive opportunity? Uh, of course. But what was said to me, again, was how quickly they got tired of it. I mean, it was clearly not a ritual. For them, and that's where it gets connected to the Shabbos and Yontif. For us, we need to ritualize not only the lighting of the candles, and not only of the making of kiddush and hamotzi, and sitting around a table with a tablecloth, no matter what color it might be. Um, there are those who care about the shidduchim, and those who can't, they don't. So it depends on what the color of the tablecloth is. But the truth of the matter is that those are ritualized, and and they've become monotonous in some families. They don't bring the family closer together in a sustained way. 
people don't necessarily look forward to it. You have the second or third day of, of Yontif when we're saying, it's another day of Yontif, what are we going to do? Nebuch, we have another day, we can't do this, we can't do that, as opposed to what an opportunity for us to have a ritualized connectedness to our kids, the reading with our children and talking about it, the singing songs and talking about it. Um, you know, in, in my home, we have um, twice a year uh, the Goldberg Family Color War. It's a big thing. The kids run it. And we have breakout and we have teams and we play against each other and it's a lot of fun. Some of it is connected to technology where we have presentations like you would expect in a school environment. And some of it is disconnected where we're acting on plays, some of it we're reading stories, we're writing um, stories, we're making posters. We're doing the, the, the connected and the disconnected, but in a connected way. And I think that those are the kind of things, if you ritualize them, and it's not just about um, we do it once in a while here and there, but we have it that it is what our family is actually um, is actually uh, feeling together. Like when you say, what does our family stand for? They say, we stand for being together. That's a value that the kids and the parents could equally um, you know, note is um, an important value of the family. And I feel as if these stories that were in this article highlighted how for those families, connectedness between the kids and the parents, connectedness between the parents and the kids, wasn't as much a value as it should be in, in our society today. And that's what was sad for me. Do you think that it wasn't a value or it was just they were connecting in a way that they're not used to connecting? Meaning, I, I mean, I, I, I totally hear your criticism and I understand the, um, I understand your point in terms of the sadness, the underlying tone of the sadness in the article from the, from the perspective in which you read it, I read it. I, I appreciate that wholeheartedly. But, but we live in a plugged in world, regardless of how often we unplug. The reality is we live in a plugged in world. So is it, is it a question? Are you, are you able to make that kind of a statement in saying that these families don't value the time or are they just connecting? They have been connecting in a different way. And now we're taking away the plugs, which is not only the way we live our lives, but also the way these kids and these parents are connecting for better or for worse. That's what they're doing. That might be what works for them. And now they have to switch it off. It very well could be, and, I, and, and certainly I, I, I don't want to stand in judgment of them you know, in such a dramatic fashion. But, but I do think, when you read this article, the quotes of these parents, and maybe there were lots of other quotes that were not actually put in the article that, that suggest otherwise, but I didn't get the sense that they are utilizing the gaming and utilizing the, the, the texting and the tweeting and the, 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 um, the Facebooking and all of the technology social media that the children, the teens, are connecting to their peers with, I don't get a sense that the parents are really involved in that connected world in a way in which would, um, would represent a value of connecting with their children. And it's difficult. There's no doubt that kids don't want their parents following them on Facebook. They don't want them, you know, involved in that world. But that's no different than the typical teen who didn't want their parents involved before there was such technology. Um, and the need for parents to have open, non-judgmental dialogues with their children, especially teens, but prepare for children for that, that that's already part of the routine. We talk to our parents, and, the, and we have connectedness with our kids. That seems to me to be missing, and it could be that I'm reading too much into it, um, but there's no sense that, and again, some of the, the comments about the technology itself, in a, in a disparaging way, um, the note that, you know, how, how do we know, and it wasn't really in the article, you know, I would say that some of the, the, the gaming itself has led to some of the decision-making that the kids um, and the ingenuity that the kids utilized when there was no power. 
For example, when the throwback moments of Lila in the article studying for the test of state capitals, as the lights were flickering on and off, it says, right? Found a childhood jigsaw puzzle in the United States. But, you know, it says, any resourceful return to old school methods were not expected to last. Well, maybe the resourcefulness was actually because Lila spent countless hours being resourceful through the gaming activities that she played online, where it teaches the kind of critical thinking, teaches the kind of resourcefulness that uh, otherwise wouldn't have necessarily been part of her life because she wouldn't have been able to engage in that learning unless she was connected. So just, I, I just put it out there, just again, to get our, the, your listeners to think about, um, is it really about unplugging or is it really about connecting to family? Interesting. There was actually, it, it's, it's uh, it, it, again, it's a direction of the article, or it's, a, it's an angle of the article I didn't appreciate until you brought up, but there's a, uh, there's a website called kidscreen.com that um, tracks... Global Children's Entertainment Industry is part of their tagline. And there was a story written, there was a blog post written by somebody who was sitting in Starbucks as she was plug- She was um, powering her phone, as many people did while there was no power for those areas that have already regained their power. And she commented that to one side of her was a mom playing checkers with her son while she plugged in her phone and he was charging his iPad. And then there was a father who was FaceTiming with uh, somebody at his office while his kids plugged in their phones and whatever electrical equipment that they had brought with them. So he was FaceTiming with his office and trying to get together, you know, trying to push forward some kind of a contract. So is that a poor use of time? I I, I don't know if it's a poor use of time. I think that, uh, I I don't think it's about use of time. Is that a poor use of quality opportunity time or opportunity quality time? Again, it's hard to judge them without knowing what the other time they're spending with their children or the other time they're spending uh, with their technology. However, um, I think everybody has to find their balance. Um, And no doubt this article, the undertone of it is clearly the the balance that we need to strike uh, between a connected world and technology but also a connected world with our family. Uh, And that's the challenge. That's all of our challenge. I I would argue that the more we make it about an individual judgment. So it's the judgment of the CEO of the company or the, the, the blue-collar worker who is, you know, is, is, is seeing how they can connect um, when, the, when, the, when, when there's the blackout. Um, you know, it, it's not an individual judgment. It shouldn't necessarily be. It should be, a, it should be a conversation. That father, that mother should be talking to their children about that balance. They should have the conversation about what the appropriate use of the plugging in but also the appropriate use of the connectedness. Um, and does that connectedness is the best? The father who taught about sexuality by playing we in parallel to the kid, you know, was was to me, you know, going you're just ridiculous, right? You can't talk to your child. You need to literally play we in order to do it. And the parent in the article, you know, thought it was a stroke of genius. Right. That me, I that was that yeah. was a stru- that was a, to me it struck me as the prof- that was where the profound sadness. Sunk in, sunk in the most. Right. You I don't have a relationship with your kid. I agree with you. I read that section and was totally. I, I mean, my eyes bugged out of my head. I'm like, this is an accomplishment. This is something that we're lauding, that a parent and a child cannot have a direct conversation about any kind of a sensitive topic where we need some kind of a technological interloper to be there and basically referee or, or serve as a distraction from the conversation that's taking place. I mean, I read that and was stunned because I haven't a, a, a an open you know, an an informative, I should say, relationship with my kids where I tell my kids, ask me anything. 
I will answer it for you as I always want to be the source of information for my kids. I don't want them learning it in other places, either factually incorrect or correct as the case may be. I want them to hear it from me. So to have to, to sit there and, and read this part of the article where, where a father is again discussing, you know, life cycles and birds and bees with their son, with his son, and the wife thinks it's great that they're doing it while they're playing the Wii so that both of them have to learn, have to watch the screen and can't make eye contact. I'm like, that is a complete failing of parenting. Right. I mean, if it had said that he was using Wii Golf as a metaphor for it, maybe, but <laughs> that, that wasn't what it was. Right. It was, it was that he was using it as, as a way to be able to build a, actually a disconnect between him and his son in order to be able to have a difficult conversation. And, you know, just the previous paragraph of the article that quotes a, a professor of journalism from Columbia University, the problem I see is us bumping against is how attached we adults are to our own digital devices, and no doubt that's true. Right. Um, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we do taking that break on Shabbos, taking that break on Yontif, and, and, and the break that I noted earlier that I take the vacation on, the 10 days of, of, of disconnect, I, I think is an important point. But we're adopting some of the practices that we're seeing in teens as well, where they're, they're breaking up with boyfriends and girlfriends over texting, uh, and, you know, I mean, using text to do that. You know, that. That ability to step back and be anonymous, if you will, or be disconnected in some of the most um, crucial and important social activities um, in in our time that allows one to develop a social system and allows one to develop those social skills, um, that is that that is challenging. And no doubt the answer isn't, you know, we should get rid of Facebook, we should get rid of texting and Twitter, um, but that we should manage them and we should see where it is that they can add value and see where it is that they represent something that we're striving for that we can actually attain um, in, a, in, in a technologically disconnected way. Um, uh, is, is something that I think is an important conversation for parents to have with their children. We're on the phone with Dr. Scott Goldberg. He is our contributor here at That's Life with our Teachable Moments segment, and he's also the director of Yeshiva University's University School Partnership. And actually, um, Scott, we only have a couple minutes left, and I know sometimes I refer to you as Dr. Goldberg and sometimes refer to you as Scott, but I know at this point you're, you prefer Scott, so I'm going to just go with that for the uh, at least for the rest of this segment. Do you think that parents or families who are interviewed for this article are now reassessing what uh, either, you know, the way they handled the power outage and that time apart from uh, that time apart from technology and that powerless, you know, that that unplugged time and saying, did is this a is this an eye opening experience? Should this be a wake up call for the way I interact with my kids? Do you think they're reexamining life? I, I certainly hope so. But I, but I think that all of us are not only these parents, but others. And I don't think it's only connected to technology. How can we go through an experience of the last several weeks, certainly in the New York, New Jersey area, where entire homes were destroyed, families displaced, um, and, and, and this wasn't families that, that didn't have, these are families that had, right. and now they're us. You know, They're the people who had and now um, need more than ever. Right. Uh, the ability for a home, uh, um, homes to be opened up, for families to say, yes, we have an ex-bedroom home. You can come in. Before we thought our, our our home was already tight. Everybody had to have their own room. Everybody had to have their own space. But now we have an entire family living with us. Um, and then flipping it around and sometimes the following week, those families who opened up their homes now not having power and needing to go someplace else, you know, those experiences, the experiences of being able to say, not only are we disconnected, how do we, how do we uh, deal with the power outages, um, but also how do we deal with Space issues. How do we deal with social interaction with people who are not used to spending that much time with? How do we deal with um, our friends and our families in need? 
how do we reach out but not feel, you know, that others, um, that we're imposing on others, but we're truly um, helping out with the chesed that, that we should be helping out with. Um, how do we do those things? If that doesn't have a profound effect on how we act from this point forward, um, so I, I don't know the kind of experience that should, then I'm really sad. It's not about the technology. It's about who we are and who we become through events like this. Well, I, I appreciate your perspective. It's definitely not the way I initially took the article, but um, it's really have, has has helped frame it for me in a different point of view. So I, I very much appreciate, A, your contribution in making the time, but B, doing that for me personally uh, in terms of that article. So, Dr. Goldberg, thank you very much. It's really my pleasure. You've been listening to That's Life on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am Miriam L. Wild. Thank you for making me part of your day. Let's go through the lineup for the rest of the day so you know what to expect and to look forward to and what not to miss. We have a full afternoon right after That's Life. It's something to talk about with Randy Wartelski. Then it is Rivka Abbey. It is the encore of Rivka Abbey's show from Tuesday night. You definitely don't want to miss that, especially if you have kids who are looking for summer programs. And while I say that tongue-in-cheek because, well, it's cold, the fact of the matter is, is that summer programs are rapidly filling up. You should definitely tune into that. 5 p.m., the OU presents the Jewish Reaction. Do not miss that episode. And then following that, it's the Stun Show this week, hosted by Daniel Gordon. The Thursday night extravaganza is on from 7 to 8, followed by Spin Class Politics with Michael Fragan. And then, of course, a Book of Life, a new Book of Life with Charlie Harari in its 9 p.m. slot. Finally, the day closes with an hour of Jewish soul with Charlie Bernhardt. You do not want to miss our Thursday night lineup. Join Nachum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9 a.m. as he hosts JM the AM live here on the stream at NachumSiegel.com and JMNAM.org on 91.1 FM as well. Do not miss Saturday Night Siegel with our one and only of Rummy live here at 10 p.m. only on the stream at NachumSiegel.com. And as you know, JM Sunday with Matis Wine Guest is still in full swing. It is swinging and swinging. Make sure to catch it this Sunday from 7 to 9 on the stream. Plus, please like his Facebook page. We are looking for higher numbers. This show will be rebroadcast Sunday at 1 p.m. on NachumSiegel.com. I leave you today with a classic. MBD's Im Anili, Im Ain Anili Mili. It is a fantastic song. I would say those words ten times fast, but my teeth are still not working well today. Words to live by, especially now when people have rolled up their sleeves to help each other. We had buses from Baltimore, Teaneck, and countless other areas who have come to the neighborhoods that have been devastated by Sandy to really make a difference. Imlo Akshav A Masai. I can't say that enough, and I thank everyone who lent a hand. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys.
Mohani, we eat, 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 we eat